Today on After God's Heart. I'm praying that your love begins to spill over more and more. But notice what he's asking. I'm praying that your love spills over more and more. How? In knowledge and discernment. Not just information. I'm praying that your love would spill over in knowledge and in discernment. That your love would lead to a discernment. That your love would lead to right thinking. That your love would lead to spiritual insight. I want you to understand what God's doing in your life. Paul says, I'm praying you have love that abounds more and more in knowledge and in discernment. Why, Paul? Verse 10, so that you may discover things that are excellent. Welcome to After God's Heart with Dr. Darren Biles, author, professor, and pastor of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. This program is a part of the ministry of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. This is our first broadcast of 2024. To start the new year, Dr. Biles is beginning a new sermon series through the book of Philippians. The book is an expression of joy, a prayer of faith, and a testimony of confidence in Christ. In this study, believers will be reminded that our life is in Christ. Dr. Biles? Do you have any unfinished projects? Maybe you have a to-do list that you've made or your spouse has made for you. The promise we have from Scripture is that God always completes His work. I'm beginning a new sermon series this year entitled, To Live is Christ. It's a study through the book of Philippians, In this letter, Paul was writing to a young church established on Paul's second missionary journey. In this first section of the book, Paul expresses his affection for the believers in Philippi and his confidence that God will complete the work he established in them. It's a lesson on how believers today can have confidence in God. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. It's a message I have entitled, He will complete it. Running underneath the city of Cincinnati is a two-mile-long monument of incompletion, now a century old. Started back in the late 1800s when the city decided to modernize and looking into mass transit, they decided to explore a subway system underneath the city of Cincinnati. Took a number of years, but it was in 1912 when the city voted to spend $6 million on what was going to be a 16-mile loop underneath the city of Cincinnati. About 1916, the city had approved all of the plans and the $6 million that it was going to take to build the subway, and World War I happened and the plan was delayed. After they came back from the war, The plan was revisited, only by this time inflation had taken such a toll, what was going to be a $6 million plan became a $12 million plan, and the plan was delayed. They revisited the plan a few years later and actually started in the early 1920s, and they dug a seven-mile trench, and then eventually in 1924 completed two miles. Four subway stops along the way until they ran out of money and the plan was delayed. In 1928, they revisited the plan again and decided they were going to begin building or completing the plan and the stock market crashed and the plan was delayed again. In the early 1930s, they revisited the plan again and World War II came and the plan was delayed. And they came back after World War II, and they realized that their $12 million campaign had almost doubled again, and the plan at that time was permanently voted against. 
over the years, there have been a number of theories to try to rejuvenate the plan of the train that now goes to nowhere. And it continues today, two miles long, underground. The entrance is blocked. But still, if you could get there, there are two miles of train tracks and four subway stations of a train that doesn't go anywhere. A plan that was never completed. You have any unfinished projects in your life? Maybe in your home, you have a list of projects that you've started. Maybe you made some progress somewhere along the way and plans were never completed. Do you have those kinds of plans in your life? Plans that good intentioned, still incomplete. I have good news for you this morning. God always completes his plans. We're starting a new series this morning in the book of Philippians, and Paul has a word to say to the church in Philippi, you are God's project. Take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1 as we begin a series, To Live is Christ. But I want you to note a particular phrase that Paul is going to say to the church, he will complete it. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, according to the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge, and in all discernment, that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruits of righteousness, which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Twenty centuries ago, an itinerant preacher caused a disruption and was imprisoned in a town in northeastern part of Greece, and the world changed. The story of the beginning of the church in Philippi is found in Acts chapter 16. You might know of it as the Macedonian call recorded in Acts chapter 16, verse 9. Paul and his companions on the second missionary journey in a vision at night received an urgent call to come to Macedonia. Eventually, Paul would plant churches in Thessalonica and in Philippi and in other places across Greece. Some of those we have letters in the New Testament, including this one to the church in Philippi. The church began with three dramatic events and at least two dramatic conversions. When Paul first came to the city of Philippi, the Bible tells us he intended to go as he normally did to the synagogue, and he went to the place but found a group of women there. There was no synagogue meeting. Scholars suggest that there weren't enough men by law. They had to have 20 men 
to begin a synagogue meeting, and there were a group of women there who were described as God-fearers, but clearly did not have faith in Christ. Paul engaged with one of them in particular whose name was Lydia because they had a similar trade. He led Lydia to the Lord, and she opened her home for a Bible study. She was the first convert. Not long after that, Paul and his companions were increasingly aggravated by a young slave girl who was demon-possessed. She walked through the city after them, proclaiming, These men are declaring to you the way of salvation. And the Bible says that Paul was greatly annoyed, and he exorcised, he cast out the demon for her. But the only problem was she was being exploited by those who had owned her as a slave for their own profit. And when Paul cast out the demon from her, they lost their income and were greatly disturbed. Had Paul arrested, beaten with rods, and thrown into prison? Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas, with their feet chained in stocks, were singing praises to the Lord. And the Bible says the prisoners nearby heard it. There was a great earthquake. The chains locking their feet fell off. The earthquake aroused the jailer, who then realized he was going to be at fault for all of those prisoners who were now no longer shackled. Took a sword and was about to commit suicide. Paul interrupted him and said, we're all still here. And the man responded, what do I have to do to be saved? He became the second convert of what would be that new church in Philippi. So you've got three unusual circumstances. A God-fearing woman who doesn't know Jesus, a demon-possessed slave girl with good theology, and a sleep-aroused jailer who was about to commit suicide, and that's where the church began. Eventually, Paul would plant this church and others in the region of Macedonia, the New Testament recording letters to these. This letter in particular, a letter of encouragement and gratitude to the church in Philippi, who on at least one occasion sent financial support to Paul at very timely moments in his ministry, and Paul was grateful. One of the things that we're going to see as we study through the book of Philippians, Paul frequently in this letter talks about joy. In the four chapters of Philippians, we're going to see the word joy or rejoice or some synonym of that 16 times. Joy. How to have joy in the Lord. You know there's a difference between joy and happiness? Happiness depends on what happens, right? Good things happen and I'm happy. Bad things happen and I'm unhappy. But joy is different. Joy is the work of the Spirit of God. It's something that God does, not from the outside, but from the inside that comes out. Joy gives context to happiness. It gives purpose to trial. It gives perspective to pain. It gives hope in uncertainty. It even gives endurance in suffering. Paul wanted those believers to know the joy that God had given him. So when the letter begins, Paul begins in a customary way, as he normally did, identifying himself, and in this case, Timothy, who probably was with him in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. We know that Timothy 
was there when Paul was going to the region of Macedonia, and so it's reasonable that Timothy is a part of the authorship of this letter. We are bondservants of Jesus Christ. We're slaves of Christ, writing to the believers, the saints, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, now the two offices of the church, pastor and deacon. Paul's writing now to this new church that planted on the second missionary journey that had now obviously organized with pastors and deacons, and Paul does what is, is normally included in all 13 of his letters. He greets them with grace and peace. Every letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament includes a prayer, for grace and peace, always in that order, never peace and grace, grace and peace. Reason for that is the only way you'll know peace with God is having experienced the grace of God. Paul says, I'm praying for you grace and peace. And from there, Paul now launches into the letter. So with that brief introduction, Paul begins, and here's the structure of this first section in Philippians chapter 1. It is a letter or a note of gratitude and prayer. I'm thankful and I'm prayerful. And you know these two things that stand out very early. So beginning in verse 3, I thank God. I'm thankful for you, Paul says. In fact, Paul says, I'm thankful for you every time I think about you. I'm thankful for you upon every remembrance of you. Now, think back for a minute. What happened in Philippi? Paul was beaten. He was arrested. He was rejected by the city. He was abused. And, and, but that's not the thought that Paul has. That's not what he remembers. Was there suffering? Yes. But that's not what I remember. What I remember about you, Paul says, is I'm grateful to God for you. On top of that, when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Philippi, Paul was in prison again. So Paul is writing from a prison in Rome about an experience of imprisonment in Philippi, and on top of all of that, Paul says, I'm grateful. I'm thankful to God for you, every remembrance of you. We have in verse 5, one of the reasons Paul's thankful, in view of your participation, that word is fellowship, koinonia, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm grateful one of the reasons, Paul says, because we share a common fellowship through faith in Jesus Christ. Only one of the reasons Paul was thankful, but Paul says, I'm thankful for you. Paul was thankful, and he was prayerful. Look further. I'm, I thank God on every remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. So Paul says, every time I think about you, I'm thankful and I'm prayerful with joy. I'm praying for you with joy. The content of that prayer is recorded beginning in verse 9. So he's thankful in verse 5 because of their fellowship in the gospel. Here's what he's praying. Look down at verse 9. Here's what I pray, Paul says, that your love will overflow. Your translation may say abound more and more. I'm praying not that you have love, you have love. I'm praying that your love will abound. I'm praying that your love overflows. I'm praying that your love increases. I'm praying that your love begins to spill over more and more 
But notice what he's asking. I'm praying that your love spills over more and more. How? In knowledge and discernment, not just information. I'm praying that your love would spill over in knowledge and in discernment, that your love would lead to a discernment, that your love would lead to right thinking, that your love would lead to spiritual insight. I want you to understand what God's doing in your life. Paul says, I'm praying you have love that abounds more and more in knowledge and in discernment. Discernment. Why, Paul? Verse 10, so that you may discover things that are excellent. I want you to approve. I want you to learn. I want you to find those things that are excellent, that you discern and you approve those things that are excellent. Now, the opposite of that would also be true, that you disapprove of things that are not excellent. I'm praying that your love overflows more and more in knowledge and discernment so that you approve only things that are excellent, so that you know consciously with discernment what things are excellent, what things are not, so that you approve those things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. That word sincere in the Greek language comes from two words. One word means son, and the other word means judge and refers to the act of holding something up to the sun to determine its nature. I'm praying that you're sincere, that even in the light of the sun, you're proven genuine. I'm praying that your love will abound more and more so that you'll have knowledge and discernment to approve those things that are excellent so that you overflow now with blamelessness and with sincerity, with consistency. How, Paul, verse 11, by being filled with the fruit of righteousness. So I'm praying that your love will abound, overflow more and more so that you'd have knowledge and discernment so that you approve those things that are excellent so that you may be sincere and blameless. How? Because you've been filled with the fruit of righteousness. The Spirit of God now working in you, confirming what God has already begun in you and overflowing in righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul says, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that the love that is already there inside of you begins to overflow, it abounds, it spills out, and ultimately results in the praise and glory of God. So that your life now demonstrates what God is doing in you. So I'm thankful for you, and I'm prayerful for you, Paul tells the church. But now both of those aspects have context in verse 6. Paul's thankful for them. He's prayerful for them. And verse 6 really gives us the perspective. Begins with a participle, being confident of this. So I'm thankful, being confident. I'm prayerful, being confident. What are you confident of, Paul says? I'm confident of this very thing. You know, we live in a world of uncertainty. The problem with so much uncertainty is we can begin to think that there's nothing about which I can be certain. We live in a world of subjectivity. Truth has become subjective in our culture. Things that God has defined have become negotiable in our culture. Uncertainty abounds. We live in a world of uncertainty. Paul says, I have confidence in my thanks and my prayer. So I want to see how believers can have confidence 
in God. First thing I want you to notice there from verse 6, believers can have confidence in God because he has. Watch verse 6. Being confident of this very thing that he has begun. Note the confidence that Paul has. I'm confident of this thing, but who's the source of his confidence? Not them, not himself. He's thankful for them, but he's confident in him. I'm confident of this very thing that he. So Paul says, the source of my confidence is not me, it's not you, it's God. I'm confident of this, in this very thing, God. God has done something. Paul says, I'm thankful and I'm confident in him, this God who has no lack, this God who has no weakness, this God who created you, who woke you up this morning, who's responsible for every good thing in your life. Paul says, I'm confident in him, that he has. All right, what is he has? Uh, where, where's your confidence today? Paul says, my confidence is in him. The psalmist said, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I'm confident in him. He has. What has he done? Well, first of all, Paul says he has begun. He's started something. Note the initiative. He started it. That work that is in you, that has already begun, he did it. Paul says, I'm confident in him, the one who has begun something. It's already begun. Listen, today, if you are in Christ, God has already begun something in you. Not just the faith relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ, but a process that is taking place. So there's a divine initiative and there's a divine process going on in your life. And Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who has begun, he has begun. Well, what has he begun? Know what Paul says. I'm confident that he who has begun a good work. Do you know that when God does a work in your life, it is always a good work? The only kind of work that God does is a good work. If you are today in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God has already begun a good work in you. That personal relationship that you have through Jesus Christ that now is beginning a process of forming us, of transitioning us, of making us more and more like the one who has called us that will not yet be complete until he calls us home. But the process has begun. And I'm confident, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you. Paul reminds us that believers can be confident in God because he has. But read further because there's more. Not only can believers be confident in God because he has, believers can be confident in God because he will. Paul says, I'm confident of this thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He will. He has begun something, and he's begun something in you that's a good work. But notice, it's not just something that God started and left unfinished. It's not just something that God started on his initiative and leaving to you to complete it. The one who began is the one who will complete. 
he he will complete it. He began it. He will complete it. Note, the work's not done yet, but he's working. Confidence is an amazing blessing. We live in a world of uncertainty. It seems like so much of the world around us is unclear. But there are things the Bible gives us certainty about. We have certainty that the Bible is true. We have certainty that eternal life is promised through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have certainty that salvation is secure. In this passage, Paul expressed confidence in two things. First, that what we have entrusted to God is secure. And second, that God will complete his work in us. That word, until, is such a reassuring word. God is always faithful. He will be faithful to you. That's a good promise to you in this new year. Whatever God has in store for you, he will be faithful. You've been listening to a program entitled After God's Heart. The name of the program is taken from a description by God of David in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, and in Acts 13, verse 22. But it is also a goal for every believer. We would love to have the opportunity to share with you more about becoming like him. If you are ever in the North Texas area, I want to invite you to be our guest at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We have Sunday school at 9 o'clock for all ages and worship at 1030 in both English and Spanish. We hope to see you anytime you are able at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Now here's Ed to tell you how you can find out more about our church and a final word. Thanks, Pastor. Sunnyvale First Baptist Church is located at 3018 North Beltline Road, Sunnyvale, Texas. You can go to our website at sunnyvalefbc.com for any and all information about our services and our ministries. Again, thank you for joining us on After God's Heart. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Stay rooted in God's Word, and may His grace guide you. Until next time, this is Ed Petty encouraging you to walk in faith, love, and after God's heart. God bless you, and have a great day.